Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Wow, what a day today. Have we got some common sense for you in the studio today? We have common sense Republicans, common sense Democrats. We have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg from the Democratic crowd. And Ed Cox, New York State Chairman uh, from the Common Sense Republicans. And the guy that's always been common sense is Congressman King. And welcome, Congressman. And John, good to be here. Is it true King's Highway was named after you? That's a secret, John. All right. You're not collecting any tolls, right? I'm not going to tell you that either. Okay, I understand. We've got some breaking news. we got a special guest. Breaking news. WABC. And, of course, he is definitely the man of the hour and certainly with us for the beginning of this hour, the great chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Congressman James Comer, joining us here on Cats and Cosby. From Kentucky. Thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know what? Boy, there is so much to talk with you about. Let's get right to it. Um, Where are you in the investigation into Hunter Biden and, of course, his father? Well, uh, we've been very transparent with the American people about the bank records that we found. Uh, we found uh, 19 shell companies that the Bidens had. Uh, the sole purpose of those shell companies appeared to be to launder money from foreign nationals to at least nine different Biden family members. Now, in the last uh, five days, we've gotten more bank statements in from more banks. Uh, when we had access to the suspicious activity reports at Treasury, we found more bank accounts, more shell companies, and more Bidens. So uh, we're going to continue to pour through these bank statements and uh, work to try to uh, determine how much money the Bidens took and what role Joe Biden played in all of this. How much of a maze is it, uh, Congressman James Comer? Because we've been hearing all these different shell companies. How many different banks? How many companies have you discovered? How much of a puzzle is it? Uh, It's a huge puzzle. This was organized crime. That There's no other way to define it. This was organized crime. And what they did, uh, and you saw it in the... FBI Form 1023, uh, where the Ukrainian oligarch said that no one would ever be able to figure out all these wires they were sending to the Biden because they were using so many different banks and shell companies. Uh, this was something that I would say is going to top out around 30 to 40 different banks uh, and about that many different shell companies. So so this is a, an organized attempt by the Biden family to hide the source of money flowing into these shell companies and to distract from the IRS so they wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. And that's exactly what the IRS whistleblowers allege uh, in the transcribed interview with the Ways and Means Committee that uh, the Biden family never paid money on any of these wires that came into these shell companies. Uh, Congressman, uh, I'm not worried about the wires. I'm not worried about the taxes. What I'm worried about is, you know, What's going on in our country? Right. Is some of the favors they got in cash, uh, are they paying it back in some way? I fear that they are, uh, and that's what we're looking at. Uh, we have six specific policy decisions, four of which were made while Joe Biden was president uh, early on, that we can't come to any other conclusion as to why these decisions were made other than the fact that this president is compromised. This family's taken too much money from the Chinese Communist Party not to uh, completely 
join the majority of Americans in trying to oppose uh, the Chinese Communist Party's attempt to uh, take over certain industries in America. So we're going to continue to be transparent with the American people about what we found with respect to uh, potential wrongdoing by this administration through the fact that they're compromised. That's that's what I'm worried about, that they're compromised and they're doing favors for other countries because the amount of money flowing in from other countries one way or another, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it in many ways, foreign money is being flown in or going into Washington right. in many, many ways. It could be done by uh, somebody that used to be a citizen of that foreign country mm-hmm. and now is a U.S. citizen. But right. money is flowing. Congressman King, uh, you worked together with Congressman? Yeah, I was actually, it was, it was my last term when uh, Jim showed up. So he came, I figured it was safe for me to leave then. We had a good man coming <laughs> in. Uh, Jim, it's great to see you, and congratulations on the terrific job Thanks. you're doing in such a professional way. I just have one question right now. How high could you estimate the amount of money being that could have flown into the Biden crime family? I'm confident it'll be at least $17 million, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it got to close to $30 million. So we're, we're talking about some, some real money here. Uh, and I'm not counting like, – with the first transaction we disclosed was – $3 million from the Chinese Communist Party to the Robinson Walker LLC account. From that, the Bidens got $1.3 million. I'm not counting $3 million. I'm counting $1.3 million. So, you know, the, the transactions could exceed $40 million plus. But a lot of times in these shell companies, they had other owners of the shell companies so that they could disguise the, the revenue and, and hide the revenue from either the IRS or the federal authorities or, or whomever. Remember, when you're talking about the Chinese money, uh, this was the, what they were asking the Bidens to do was to help them buy interest in not just energy companies, but also the infrastructure, natural gas drillers. They wanted to buy farmland. They wanted to buy interest in manufacturers of defense, uh, equipment. The, anything that China could buy an interest in in the United States without you know, having to be blocked by the, the, the barriers to entry, they were going to use the Bidens to navigate the federal bureaucracy. So this president, when he was in the private sector, and he was the big guy, make no mistake, he was the big guy, that company's business model was to help China gain entry into any industry that they could invest their their tons and in tons other of words, cash in. China uh uh, the Communist Party, I, want, I don't yep. want to make a billion Chinese people guilty because they're not. It's the Communist Party That's right. is infiltrating in every part Absolutely. of our system, whether it's the uh, the, the drugs being uh, killing our, our, our people or whether it's our universities. Absolutely. They've been donating money for our universities and the universities do it the Chinese way. Right. I mean, I can't say it any different. I mean, look, I just want... Right now, and, I, and I've said that to uh, Secretary Pompeo when I spoke to him today, I said, right now we're not in a shooting war, but we're definitely in a, uh economic war. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but they make 99%, 92% of our antibiotics. They make, I mean, how do you, how do you have a war with, with, with that, with, with, with a country that we can't live without? That's, that's a great, point and china's our biggest enemy uh, china's our biggest threat and china's a real 
threat because they have taken over so many industries, whether it's the, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, whether it's the, the semiconductor industry. I mean, they own industries that are essential to our everyday life here in America. And to know that Joe Biden's family was there, if they had a legitimate purpose for any business, it was going to be the deal with China to where they helped China navigate the bureaucracy to where they could uh, buy ownership into any type of manufacturing, any type of energy, buy more real estate, including farmland, anything they could invest their their piles of cash in, they were going to use the Bidens to help navigate the bureaucracy to, to uh, overcome the barriers of entry. What other countries, too? I, and by the way, the one thing that has always struck me with the whole thing, as you're talking about oil and mm-hmm. gas with China, Congressman James Comer, is it, Biden seems to be selling out our oil and right. gas industry. Think about the hypocrisy that he's trying to help China get inroads here yeah. while he's trying to destroy domestic. That's right. Yeah. But you, you mentioned other countries, uh, obviously Romania, China. Those are the two countries we've already disclosed transactions. We're about to disclose transactions from Ukraine, uh, as well as Russia. Uh, then they, the brother, uh, that people forget about Joe Biden has a brother. Uh, that was a, a huge influence peddler. He dealt mainly in the Middle East. So you have uh, four or five countries in, in the Middle East that, that he influenced peddled on. And then there's also countries in, in Africa where Hunter Biden was actively involved in, in influence peddling and where Joe Biden was involved in foreign policy decisions. So uh, this was an organized family crime unit, essentially, uh, and and the business model was to profit off of Joe Biden's influence as vice president and future influence as president. I think now Joe Biden, uh, the, the first day he was on and became president, he made fossil fuels. He made the oil business an enemy. Mm-hmm. Oil went from fifty five to one hundred and twenty, and that's. You know, that's what caused the inflation. Right. All the crap going around that's, oh, the inflation was caused by the XYZ. No. When oil went from 55 to 120, that's causing inflation. And it took the, the poor people of America, the middle class of America, made them poorer. A trillion dollars worth of wealth moved from North America to Russia, OPEC nations, etc. It made the American people poorer. Right. And I don't understand why has he decided to make the fossil fuel industry or the oil industry the enemy of the people? And, and you know, these electric cars, China makes most of the batteries. And, and his family was involved in some of those, uh, rare earth mineral sales, those deals that allowed, uh, China to purchase, uh, controlling interest in rare earth mineral mines in, in the Congo. Uh, these were American companies that had to get approval from the federal government to make the sale to China. Joe Biden was very involved in that. Uh, Hunter said he never profited from that. Stay tuned. We'll Stay see tuned. if that's a true statement. Judge oh. Weinberg. Congressman, I read uh, yesterday that you said that the answer now is not to appoint a special prosecutor. Would you please explain to our audience why it's so important that this is looked at, but in the right way? I think the oversight committee's proven. We've proven in, that we can find out more in five months than the IRS was able to find out in five years. Uh, if you have a special counsel, that means Merrick Garland gets to appoint whomever he wants to completely take over the investigation. That would block 
congressional investigators from having access to any information by virtue of there's an ongoing federal investigation. I don't trust Merrick Garland. I think we've seen that from the IRS whistleblowers. I think we've seen that from the FBI whistleblowers that uh, Senator Grassley had. The Department of Justice under Merrick Garland has blocked and obstructed every credible investigation into Biden uh, corruption. So I don't think that uh, under any circumstance we should give Merrick Garland the authority to pick one person who doesn't have to report to anyone uh, as special counsel and take over this investigation. I think the House Oversight Committee can do it, and I think we'll continue to produce the facts for the American people. But isn't it important also to look at what, in fact, the agencies did, that is the IRS, the FBI, and the Justice Department, which is a whole different discussion. That you have no problem really going after, do you? Absolutely, no. And, uh, you know, they're hard – there too, there's some hard agencies to get information on. Uh, we're dependent on whistleblowers. I believe we've had some very credible whistleblowers come forward. I think we're going to have some more. Congress is going to have to work together in September to cut these budgets and force uh, new leadership at the top at, at the DOJ and the FBI. Now, I mean, I, I've said publicly on this radio show that Christopher Ray, the FBI director, if he feels that that political influence is, is is doing in the Department of Justice, he should stand up and say this is X, Y, Z is wrong, and they want to fire him, fire him. Mm-hmm. But 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 he should do it like a man. Right. No, and, and I've been very unimpressed with him. Uh, our FBI whistleblowers, when they said the FBI was hiding these, these forms that allege Biden was involved in a bribery scheme – they said Christopher Ray probably didn't know anything about it, that he doesn't know a lot about what's going on in that agency. Uh, he's just a figurehead. Uh, he's not a strong leader. We need a new leader in the FBI, someone that's strong. Who's giving me orders then? Uh, that's a great question. This, the, the deep state is real. You have all these government agencies that are infiltrated by liberal activists, and the FBI is no different. And Congressman, now I would love to know how the $5 million bribe was – made public at the same time that Trump's indictment was made, the same day, and so it got buried in the news. That's a great point. Look, the FBI, we have already caught the FBI leaking to CNN, leaking to NBC, uh, different aspects of our investigation. This FBI leadership cannot be trusted. I think we have to have an FBI. I think historically the FBI has been very important to our national security, but we need new leadership and we need to reform that agency. We need somebody with courage to stand up and say X, Y, Z is wrong. Absolutely. Rita? Yeah, yeah real quick. Uh, I have a question for you about the audio tapes. Remember, this to me is really huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out that uh, the Burisma guy, right. apparently there's an audio tape, 15 conversations with Hunter Biden, uh, basically pay for play is the allegation right. from a credible informant. Yep. And also two conversations with this Burisma executive and the big guy and the, the president. Guy. What do we know about these uh, tapes? Do they exist? Do the people exist, Congressman? We know the people exist. Uh, we believe that we're going to be able to find money uh, that mysteriously was transferred into Hunter Biden's account because we believe all of his money wires were, were domestically uh, made. We know that uh, these two, that, that the the oligarch is alive. We think he's alive in, in, in Europe. We know his daughter's alive. Uh, we have been told from credible sources that both the uh, the father and the daughter have tapes. But this is the most important thing. 
and this is what irritates Chuck Grassley. The FBI never investigated it. You want to ask the question, does the FBI have the tapes? No, they do not, and here's why. They never investigated it. When they were told this, they just stuck their fingers in their ears and said, oh, we don't want to hear it. Move on. Let's talk about something else. I can't believe that. Well, Congressman, we got so much more to talk about, but I know you're out of time, and we want to thank you for coming to WABC Studios today and and addressing, uh, oh, you got the chairman of the Republican Party, your, your Congressman King, and, and uh, Judge Weinberg, who's a Democrat. and uh, a common-sense Democrat who supports okay. this investigation. I won't call you a socialist Democrat. Uh, and But thank you for everything you do. And you know something? The American people, all they want to know is the truth. Absolutely. And that's and, what we're going to provide. Oh, thank you. God bless you. Thank, and thank you. you for coming on. Keep thank up you. the good fight. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we got... I can't pronounce the name. All right. Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president. And I can spell it, too. Okay. That's coming up. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. back. Wow, John, what an amazing uh, conversation we just had with Congressman James Comer. Bottom line, the American people just want the truth. That's all we want. And and I am scared. I got to tell you something. Among all of you, I am scared of the truth because I hope uh, for nickels and dimes for ten million, twenty million, five million. Uh, anybody sold our country down the river? I'm scared. Yeah, it is scary. And you know what's scary, John, is what he said even on the last question when I asked him about these audio tapes. And he said the FBI didn't even investigate it. That's that's scary. That's why the key thing is there's two investigations. One, you have to investigate what did the government agencies do and not do and why. And then the second piece of it is what are the influence peddling done? What what was given? What I was even more scared of, he says, he doesn't think that Christopher Wray knows what the heck is going on in the FBI. Yeah, wow, that's a boy. All right, let's go to our guest. Yep, we've got Vivek Ramaswamy, who is GOP presidential candidate. Uh, Vivek, great to have you here. We just had James Comer on. Boy, is there a lot to look into with all this Hunter Biden and Joe Biden stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I think there are now two standards of justice in our country. One, if your last name is Biden, and one, if your last name isn't, basically. I think it goes deeper than that. It's one for Antifa another one for peaceful protesters of a different persuasion. But I think that right now, I hope that Republicans actually have the spine and the willingness and the curiosity to get to the bottom of whether literally the president of the United States is compromised by foreign interests financially through his son's dealings that affect himself. Vivek, you know, a lot of people don't know you. You're running for the president of the United States. You have already spent a lot of your own money and you're, you're out there. Uh, tell uh, the, the, the all Americans, you know, we're on the East Coast. We're one of the most powerful radio stations. T- tell us who you are, how you made your money, and why do you want to be president? So my parents came to this country with not a lot of money 40 years ago. I've lived the full American dream by founding multi-billion dollar companies that I built as CEO. One of them, Royvent, developed medicines that are life-saving, that are several of which are FDA approved today. I developed an asset management firm called Strive Asset Management to compete with BlackRock. Instead of telling companies to adopt political agendas, my asset management firm told them to focus on products for profit. So I'm a private sector guy. I didn't come from the world of politics. And why do you but want to be president? Down. I mean, you... well, I think we're. So I'll tell you why. Because 
the reality is we're in the middle of a national identity crisis where people my age, and by the way, I'm 37 years old. I'm the first millennial ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican. People my age are hungry for a cause. We're hungry for purpose and meaning and identity. Yet faith, patriotism, family and hard work have disappeared. So we turn to wokeness and transgenderism and climatism instead. What would you, so if you were president is, of the United States, what would you do the first 90 days? What, uh, that you say, I'm going to get it done in the first 90 days. First 90 days, I will shut down the administrative state, shut down the Department of Education, shut down the FBI, reduce the federal headcount first by over 50%, and then eventually we'll get it to 75%. Second thing I would do is I would set up our plan. We've already got a we already have a plan. We'll put it into motion to declare independence from China. And then the third thing I would do is we've got to start reviving civic pride in this country. Set up a system where every student who graduates from high school basically has to pass the same civics test that an immigrant has to pass in order to become a voting citizen of this country. We've got to revive civic pride. So those are the three things. Shut down the administrative state. That grows the economy. Second, declare independence from China. And third, revive <coughs> national pride. In the next generation, Ed Cox, Ed Cox is in the studio, New York State chairman. And uh, uh, so, any questions? So, Vivek, uh, there was uh, another businessman who ran for the presidency in 2016, the first one to ever succeed to actually be elected. You're a businessman running. How do you compare yourself to him? I'm the next generation. I'm taking the America First agenda to the next level. I respect a lot of what Trump did. He and I have a good relationship of mutual respect. But I'm going even further with that agenda, not just building the wall. I've said I would use the military to secure the southern border, not just putting Betsy DeVos on top of the Department of Education. I've said I will shut it down End affirmative action in America, which was created by executive order. I'll cross out that executive order. So I'm taking this America first agenda even further because I'm doing it with first principles and moral authority, not just vengeance and grievance. And I'm the young guy in this race. So I've got fresh legs. I've got the energy to do this. And I'm optimistic about the future of our country. And so I um, want to build on the foundation he laid, but go further. Yep. And Vivek Ramaswamy, we've got a question from former Congressman Peter King. A very quick question. First of all, I, I commend you for running. Secondly, as you go around, what issue do you think is number one on the voters' mind, specifically Republican voters? I think two things, the economy and the border. I think the border is the source of a fentanyl crisis that's killing 200 Americans per day. Many families across this country are touched by it. The economy is a big issue as well. People need to make more money. GDP growth is less than 1% this year. I have a plan to put us back to over 4%, unlock American energy, put people back to work, and put dollar stability as the sole mandate of the U.S. Federal Reserve. Vivek, Combine that with shutting down the administrative state, we'll be growing again as a country. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We will see you later on. I understand Larry Kudlow has a dinner party for you to get to know, for you to get to know more people. And we'll see you later. And uh, God bless you. And and uh, God bless America. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you soon. Thanks, Vivek. Now, with any, uh, with uh, no further ado, what the heck happened in New York yesterday with the elections? Well, Ed Cox is here. Peter King is here. They know a little bit about it. And with us is Frank Morano. Frank Morano is not going to talk about UFOs today. He's going to talk about, <laughs> he's 
<laughs> Unless you want me to. Now, what happened with the elections? What surprised you? I think we got to spend four or five minutes on on what happened in the New York primary elections. Well, most of this uh, was not much of a surprise. Most of these elections went how I think most analysts thought they were supposed to go. The first thing that I um, am immediately smacked in the face by, though, is how low the overall voter turnout was. And you have to ask yourself, now, I'm all for early voting, always have been, but do we really need nine days of early voting at um, substantial expense to the taxpayer at substantial expense to the taxpayer when nobody is showing up in these elections. And uh, I think it's just a tremendous waste. I mean, maybe that makes sense See, to the presidential you election. About, you worry about the cost. You know what I worry about, Frank? Nine days is a long time, and you don't have enough legitimate people to make sure that all the voting is correctly done in nine days. I think that's a fair criticism as well. I, I do have to give a, a hats off to the Board of Elections for an agency, though, that's been besieged with, oh, besieged with all sorts of scandals. This is the second election in a row where there's no major issues. So that's a good thing. In terms of surprises, though, this Harlem City Council race was a shock to me. Here you have Inez Dickens, who's represented this community for 20 years, and she represented them in this city council seat in the state assembly, endorsed by all the heavy hitters of Harlem. Charles Rangel, Adriano Espaillat, Eric Adams, everybody was all for her. And she ran what I think a very common sense Democratic platform on law and order, on actually doing something about the costs of the migrants and so forth. And she was trounced by not only someone that was a political newcomer, but by Youssef Salam, who, in addition to his association. Tell us why. Tell us why. Uh, with the exonerated Central Park Five, here's a guy in that words, he was. He was one of the 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 theoretical murderers in Central Park. Uh, well, uh, uh, the theor theoretical rapist, right? He was exonerated. He was exonerated, but a lot of the police that worked on that case have a lot of questions about that exonerated. But beyond that, of wilding that night too. Yeah, well, exactly. But beyond that, let's talk about what he's doing now. He touted his endorsement from Imam Siraj Wahaj, who Pete King knows all about. This was not only someone that was an unindicted co-conspirator in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, but actually testified as a character witness on behalf of the blind sheikh, Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman. Now, if that guy was supporting me, I'd want him to tell no one. This fella, Mr. Salam, was touting it on his website and everywhere else, why along with photos of Louis Farrakhan. Why did the Democratic Party support him? Uh, you got me. I mean, you, I that's a good question for the, uh, the chairman Mr. Of, Wright. Mr. Wright is chairman of New York City or, or Manhattan. I think we should have him on and ask uh, him the same questions. Yeah, well, his I, son, right? His son, it was uh, right. It was supporting. What was the whole the, right? He was the only one who was sort of helping Yusuf. Well, and uh, they he was endorsed. He did endorse him as well. But I could see him winning. I am shocked at the margin that he won by, by over 50 percent. The other surprise to me, and this I consider to be kind of a pleasant surprise, after over two decades of cop hating and racial arsony in both the state assembly and the city council, it looks like the Charles Barron era in Brownsville, Brooklyn, is finally over. He was defeated by a political newcomer as well in his primary Chris Banks. And I so, understand Melinda Katz, uh, or, uh, Curtis's yeah. uh, ex, uh, ex, whatever. Ex, 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 And, a wonderful lady. One big time. Yeah, and she judged Grasso. Yeah, she got over 70% of the vote. Not why, a huge why, surprise why, there. Why, why, 
Well, I thought Grasso had a chance. Yeah, it looked like a tighter race. You know, uh, Grasso, a lot of the themes that he was campaigning on might have been very potent in a general election or gone over very well in a Republican primary. I got to move on. The Bronx. What happened in the Bronx? You know, there's still one race that's still too close to call. That's the 13th congressional district. Which side is Curtis on? So Curtis is on the side of George Havernick. This is the one Republican council, the one council seat the Republicans have a chance of winning as of now. He's trailing by 74 votes over the chairman's sister, Christy Marmorado. Okay, next. We're going to know Coney the winner Island. next Tuesday. What happened to Coney Island? Ari Kagan wins in a landslide, and this race is going to pitch a general election, Kagan versus Brandon, councilman versus councilman. This is one of the eight competitive general elections that we'll see in November. Frank Morano, wow. I'll be listening to you at 1 o'clock in the morning on from 1 o'clock, the other side, the other side of midnight from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And you'll be able, if there's any UFOs flying above or any breaking <laughs> news, Frank Morano will get it to you. Thank you, Frank. And thank you, gentlemen and lady. And I got to tell you. you, my neighbors are outside and my, my buddy Nick uh, Prinzavalli, every time you guys do the Superman closing, Truth, Justice, in the American Way, he stands up and applauds as he's listening on his transistor we're, radio. We're, so we're keep it up. At the thank da- you. And, and, you know, we're at the Daily Planet building today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And Thank you, everybody. Like, I'm take, taking your side over Curtis. Let's take a break right now. And when we come back, who will come back with, Rita? We have the attorney for Maureen Daniel Penny. He was in court today. Big day. That's coming up. And that's the Marine in the subway, in case nobody knows the name. Go ahead, next. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, the former Marine Daniel Penny, who was involved in the chokehold death of homeless man Jordan Neely, he was arraigned just a few hours ago. And some really powerful comments coming from his legal team after the arraignment. Joining us now is the attorney for the former Marine Daniel Penny, Thomas Kenneth. Thomas, great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, talk about the arraignment um, and also the statements afterwards. Obviously, in the arraignment today, he pled not guilty. Um, talk about where the defense goes from here. Yeah, hey, Rito. Always good to be joining you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the arraignment is uh, mostly a, a procedural formality at this point. A lot of people are confused and said, well, you know, why was there the arraignment that happened a few weeks ago and then this one well you know that's just a procedural mechanism in new york first you have a criminal court arraignment then if when there's an indictment as there was in this case you go to supreme court and get arraigned so and then but then afterwards afterwards you guys came out and you basically said (laughs) um it is not just um him on trial it's basically self-defense is on trial i thought that was really powerful explain that to our audience yeah, no, I, I agree. It was actually my law partner, Stephen Razor, that made that comment. And, you know, I, I remember growing up um, and, and at some point, I think, in elementary school, learning about Kitty Genovese. And that was a case that I think my social studies teacher had touched on. And if those aren't familiar, that, that was a, a, you know, a, sort of a watershed moment in New York City in the 1960s where uh, and there been numerous psychological studies on it and so forth, where, where the victim, Kitty Genovese, was, you know, uh, murdered uh, in, in a street side encounter in Queens. And, and no one called 911. No one, no one ran to her aid. I didn't say the nine one one system back there, but 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 basically every everyone just just turned a blind eye to it, and, and it, you know for, for decades people said you know how how could this happen? Well, 
if you look at this case and you look at the plight of my client who, you know, didn't turn a blind eye and stepped up to protect himself and, and the others on the train and now finds himself in this predicament. Well, you know, it's very easy to, to see a situation where when the next incident comes, you know, no one does anything. Absolutely. By the way, what's happened to the other guys? Remember, they're the two other guys um, that were holding um, Jordan Neely down. And I, I've told everybody, clearly the people on the subway felt the threat was the homeless guy, Jordan Neely, because they were helping your client, the Marine Daniel Penny, hold him down. Yeah, what happened to the other yeah, two guys? What, yeah, what happened with them? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I mean, some of these questions, you know, obviously are better posed to the district attorney's office. Um, we, 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 through our investigation, we, we identified one of those individuals. We, we have been in touch with him. Uh, he has a counsel, um, you know, but we've had no indication as to, uh, you know, what, what the district attorney's intention is there. I, I don't think that, uh, so far as we know, they don't intend on prosecuting anyone else other than our client. I don't want to see anybody else prosecuted. I don't want to see my own client prosecuted in this case. But that's interesting. Um, but, but, that's interesting that yeah. you don't see any indication that they're going after because you can why, contend why, why they're holding they, um, them pro- down. Why are they only prosecuting one person? It's either, all three were standing on top of this guy. Yeah, I, I mean, again, John, you know, look, I don't want to I don't want to make it look like I'm campaigning to see anyone else prosecuted. And I'm not. I don't think anyone should be prosecuted. I don't case. think, any, by the way, I don't think anybody yeah. should have been prosecuted. Um, and we're yeah. going to give your client a ticket tape parade up, uh, up Fifth yeah. Avenue or wherever, because he I think he's a hero versus a, a, a criminal. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, did, you know, did you hear sorry, Thomas? No, you know, I was going to say to John's point, did you hear today um, the attorneys for uh, Jordan Neely's family came out? And afterwards, this was an amazing comment. I couldn't believe they they were like, they were saying everybody who donated to your client's defense fund, and it's close to three million bucks, as you know, um, a lot of it's a give, send, go. Uh, you should get your money back. Uh, ask for a <laughs> refund because nothing's going to help. Uh, boy, they were really, they were fighting words there. Yeah, we, we won't post that to the Razor Kniff website. Hey, Tom, um, Tom this is yeah. former Congressman Pete King. I have one big question for you. What have you heard about the toxicology report? Congressman, you were my congressman because I'm a Massapequa guy. Oh, my God, I'm um, Seaford. Okay, very good. <laughs> I grew up in Massapequa. You know, uh, what we've heard about the toxicology report and the uh, the, the autopsy is there is, no, there is none yet. Um you know, we keep hearing that the medical examiner's office has a backlog of cases. Well, I mean, frankly, I, I've seen that in other cases I've handled as well. Uh, so it, it just doesn't exist yet, as far as we're told. That's stunning. Uh, Judge Weinberg? Tom, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. I'm and I'm very puzzled. Like just uh, recently, I was uh, not that long ago. I was standing before you, and you did a great job. <laughs> you did a great job. But I'm I'm amazed. Like, back then. <laughs> I'm amazed in a case like this that they didn't put this at the top of the list to find that out because it's very very important to know what the physical condition of this gentleman was and whether in fact this pressure was the proximate cause of of the death, and they have an absolute obligation to dispel any illusions on this. They should be pressed on this, Tom. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, there, there is no question, as you know, Judge, that the defense is entitled to this. Um, we're going to get it. Um, if there is a delay that is, you know, inordinate, then that's something that we're going to have to take up with the court and will do so. I hope it doesn't come to that. But I, I think it also underscores, you know, why you, no one should read anything into the fact that the, the, the grand jury indicted here. I mean, you know, indictment is mostly a procedural formality. It's evidence of nothing. That's one of the first things jurors hear when they walk into a courtroom for a criminal trial. 
and we know that we have a, we had a grand jury presentment here where you know critical evidence, and we're talking the autopsy report, the toxicology, well, couldn't have even been presented because it wasn't available yet. So that's something that everyone should should keep in mind. So where does the case go from here? Um, and and any sense of the timeline? Because again, everybody, we're talking to the attorney for the former Marine Daniel Penny, of course, tied to the subway chokehold death, uh, the case that everybody around the country is talking about. Give us a sense of the timeline here, uh, Thomas. Yeah, Rita, criminal cases, you know, especially ones like this, are, are you know, are marathons, not sprints. Um, so, for instance, uh, we're in court today, Judge Wiley. I mean, the next court date is October 25th, so we're going out. Uh, you know, three, four months already. And that's just really for return on motion practice. So what's going to happen between now and then is we're going to get discovery, hopefully all the discovery pretty soon. Um, there'll be a, a litany of written motions that'll be submitted to the court, challenging the sufficiency of the grand jury presentation and many other issues. So, um, you know, we'll get, get a decision on that in October. At that point, you know, it'll probably be a date for hearings. I don't foresee any circumstance where this case could be tried, you know, any time before well into next so year. So, Counselor Ed Cox here, how is your client holding up all this? How's he doing? He, you know, he, he's doing as well as as well as anyone could expect under the circumstances. A hell of a lot better than I'd be doing uh, if I was in his shoes. Um, you know, this is someone as okay. a teenager who took an oath to defend the, the, the Constitution of the United States and, and entered the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, so he obviously has a different uh, type of metal than the average person. That's and, for uh, sure. Well, before we got to go on. You know. Thomas, keep Thank working you. hard for uh, for the Marine Daniel Penny. We're going to give him a chicken tape parade. Thank you so much for calling in. And Rita, who do we have now? And we've got Ryan Payne uh, talking about the economy. Ryan, uh, we are so happy you're here. I know you're always on more money uh, every weekend here on 77 WABC. Huge day, by the way. Everybody talking about the economy. I want to start, Ryan, by asking you um, about Biden touting his, quote, Bidenomics today. He did a big uh, conference basically touting his economy and his big economic <laughs> accomplishments. And yet, if you look at the polls, I, I just saw this poll right before the show. 90% of the Americans say they are very concerned or extremely concerned about the economy. How is Bidenomics working out for you? <laughs> yeah, no, I tend to agree with you. I mean, if you look at the stats, it says like one in three adults approves of his economic leadership. And I suspect you and John aren't one of those one in three. I want to know, again, who are the other? Who's who's, who's who's the one who's approved? I don't get it. I don't either, Judge. Go ahead. I'd like to meet that man or lady. Um, But, no, I think think the the problem is we've had very high inflation throughout his presidency. And, you know, we know what causes inflation. It's government overspending. And if you look at some of the spending packages we've seen during the Biden administration, I mean, they've been astronomical, right? You had the... American Rescue Plan in 2021, that's going to be like $3.5 trillion. He had his ironically named Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which is $740 billion. So I think the American people understand is the government's spending way too much money, and that just ends up being a tax on the average American. Well, I think the, the other big reason is uh, he forced the price of oil up from 55 to 120 which is the biggest tax on American people, by the way, um, in every company, right? Because every company has an oil bill in this country. So that, that's a great point, John. Um, every poor American, every middle-class American, it cost them at the gas pump. It cost them in food companies, in their cost of food. And uh, 
That was the start of it. It really was. Um, and we know we have enough oil in the U.S. to solve that problem. And now, luckily, oil prices have come down significantly, right? We're under $70 a barrel today. Um, but to your point, John, right, I mean, there's so many ways we could have improved the inflation situation. And the Biden administration just didn't step up. In fact, we still have 4% inflation, which is well above the Federal Reserve's target of 2%. So we haven't beaten inflation by any means at this point. Well, he did find oil, actually. It's in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and they dumped it out at a million barrels a day in order to look like it was lowering, lowering inflation at the pump. And how, not much How long left. did that last? Yes. How long did that last? Ed? It lasted about six months. That was it, and hasn't refilled it yet. By the way, uh, and Ryan Payne, real quick, what were your what was your reaction to Jerome Powell? Um, he's made these comments in the last few hours, basically saying uh, there's still so much stress um, on the economy and basically saying there's still a lot more pain to come. Yeah. I mean, when you hear those kind of words, uh, Ryan Payne, you're an expert on pain, P-A-Y-N for you, P-A-Y-N-E. But uh, what's your reaction to that? Well, my ego always loves to hear pain no matter what the context is. But I think the bottom line is um, I think the Fed's talking tough, but I think we're already starting to see indications that they're going to start to put their foot off the pedal. I mean, obviously, we paused uh, you know, this past meeting with the Fed, and I think what we're going to see here in the next month is there's a good chance we have another inflation number coming out. It's probably going to be pretty good. I mean, inflation's come down. Uh, the employment market you know, cools a little bit. There's a good chance that it could be done actually raising interest rates here. So I, I think I wouldn't listen to what the Fed says. Look at what they do. Um, and I also think at this point, you know, we're, we're down the home stretch with the interest rate hikes. Maybe I, I agree with you. Ryan, yeah, I agree I with you. I think uh, if the Federal Reserve doesn't pause or even, even be, begin to drop, the banks are not lending to anybody. And uh, we're going to have a bigger problem in our economy than uh, people think. Yeah, and Jay Powell doesn't want to lose. Um, I think he wants to look like a hero, and I think they they can actually pull it off, the soft landing that, you know, you and I have talked about for a long time, John, and I think we're almost there. Inflation's coming down. Employment's strong. Um, We're going to have a major boom in manufacturing. oil is down to 68, I think, this morning or or whatever, but uh, we're in the right direction. Thank you, Ryan Payne, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Excellent. Have a great evening. Thank you, John. Good. Let's take a break, and then we come back, Rita, with who? We have uh, Mark Lytle. He's the attorney for this big IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, that is creating big headlines. This is going to be a blockbuster. Okay, let's take that break. It's a common-sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. And, of course, one of the things that is making tons of headlines is this IRS whistleblower. He was a senior IRS supervisory agent, Gary Shapley, a long time, very well respected in the IRS. He has come forward saying that the investigation into Hunter Biden was hampered in so many ways and saw a lot of different suspicious things. And now his attorney is joining us here live on the show, Mark Lytle. Uh, Mark, thank you, first of all, for joining us. Um, your client, Gary Shapley, the IRS whistleblower, he's not in it alone. Um, I saw also that um, someone who um, worked for him also is coming forward. And he's also naming names that in some of these meetings, there were at least six other people, credible people, were in these meetings, right? So he has backup. It's not just his claims. 
Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on your show today. Uh, I'm really grateful for you to have me on, and I'm happy to answer your questions. Uh, Gary Shapley's uh, a very heroic figure. Uh, he's a 14-year veteran of the uh, IRS criminal investigation section, and um, he's always done what he thought was right. And um, in this case, he saw things that are outside of the norm, preferential treatment, and he said he just couldn't live with himself if he said nothing. And so he's come forward. And we it's been my job to make sure he does it legally and under the law and uh, in the right way. And he's been doing that. You know, Mark, uh, walk about walk us through some of the claims that he has made um, in terms of he said he was there during this conversation with the U.S. attorney, David Weiss, who is the U.S. attorney in Delaware, uh, basically saying that he wasn't the deciding factor. Also, he was aware that maybe there were tip offs to searches. I mean, a lot of these things are really stunning and it's important that the American public hears it. Yeah, I mean, there's really there's really uh I would just group these uh, whistleblower complaints from Gary, uh, and they're, they're they're supported, I think, by a second whistleblower too. But the the biggest one, I think, was what uh, Agent Shapley has described as his, his red line meeting, and that was a meeting that he described took place at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware on October seventh, twenty twenty-two, and it was the sort of the culmination of about a year's worth of work all of a sudden coming to a head at this big meeting uh, that involved uh, executives from the FBI, executives from the IRS, including Agent Chapley, and, um, and, and of course, U.S. Attorney David Weiss. And what happened at that meeting was um, really, really, I have to describe leading up to the meeting, about six months earlier in March of 2022, uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss had had uh, advised the agents and other prosecutors working on the case that they were going to try to pursue charges against Hunter Biden in the District of Columbia, because as Agent Shapley has testified, there's no venue uh, in Delaware for these crimes because Hunter Biden was living in D.C. part of the time and in California the other part of the time. But anyway, in March of 2022, um, they pursued bringing charges, felony and misdemeanor charges, in the District of Columbia. And at that time, uh, the District of Columbia, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, a Biden appointee, um, turned it down and uh, said, "We're not going to bring it." And they later made efforts to bring it um, at out in the U.S. Attorney's Office in L.A. for another part of the case, and that was later turned down. Um, so, but. But Agent Chapley really wasn't dismayed. He heard about these things being turned down, but he wasn't dismayed because he had heard Attorney General Garland's statements that U.S. Attorney Weiss has all the authority and, uh, you know, has the authority to charge the case wherever, whenever he wants. And there shouldn't be a problem because of uh, the Biden appointees at the Department of Justice. So Gary moves on. And he comes to this meeting on October 7th, 2022. And this is where U.S. Attorney Weiss tells them that he was rebuffed by the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. He was rebuffed by the L.A. U.S. Attorney's Office. And they, had still, they were still trying to get to the U.S. Attorney's Office in L.A. at that time. And he also drops this bomb. He says that he tells the agents, the executive staff there, that he sought special counsel status and he was denied 
special counsel status by the Department of Justice. And Agent Shapley shared that that was a shocker to him. He was he was uh, he couldn't believe it because he always thought uh, he believed uh, Attorney General Garland saying that Weiss had the authority to do this. And so when Weiss said he did not have the authority to charge those cases, um, it was a shocker for him. And it led him to go through a lot of, uh, you know, uh, challenges of his conscience and what he should do. And um, even he was so shocked by it, he actually questioned him twice, you know, had him repeat it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of questions about who to believe. There's statements by the attorney general. There's statements by Weiss out there saying they always had, you know, unfettered authority. And then you've got Agent Shapley's statement. But he, he wrote it up contemporaneously when he was at that meeting. He wrote it up. Well, he thank put it you. in an email. Thank you so much for letting us know what's going on. Yeah, you got to come back on. People, the American people want the truth and they want to know what the heck is going on. And thank you for uh, pursuing that truth. And uh, and when you have updates, please text us. Let us know. And and Mark, bring your client on too. We'd love to talk to uh, to Agent Chapley too. Please. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on, folks. Have a great evening. You thank too. You. Thank you. And you know wow. what? What do we all stand for? Truth, truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. Thank you.